0: You're now tuned in to the internal communications podcast. Every month we'll be inviting the most exciting and seasoned people in the industry to discuss everything affecting internal communicators today. Now introducing your host, Jonathan Davis. Welcome to the second Internal Communications Podcast. Today we have a special treat for you. Here to help us figure out what internal communications can learn from UX design is Dan Williams, senior UX designer at Within Reach Group, one of Europe's fastest growing telecommunications and tech companies. Dan has a degree in the earliest form of UX design and a PhD in the field of augmented reality for science education at the University of Birmingham. He arrived in the Netherlands in 2007. After a spell at the Technical University of Delft, he stepped away from academia to work in the world of mobile and web-based interactive applications and telecommunications. I consider him the absolute authority in the field of human-to-technology interaction. And we, as internal comms people, have so much to learn from it. This is also highlighted in Mike Klein's second research report, which shows us that I see people need to be more aware of our messaging methods. We're going to look at what internal comms can learn from user experience design, how technology can help us make our messaging more efficient, and what we should really pay attention to next to content. At the end, we're going to give down 60 seconds to define the three key points that every internal comms person should know when designing messages to their audience. So here we go. So uh, Dan, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. UX design is a field that's becoming increasingly popular. I'd say there's a boom in the job market for it right now. And it's also a field that touches upon communication a lot and deals with human interaction. Can you explain to
1: our audience what a UX designer does? Sure. First, very happy to be here. Um, UX has always been there. It's just not really had an identity as it has now, I think. Um, It comes from a long field of Uh, Studies in human performance, uh, psychology, cognitive science, this kind of thing. Um, And it wasn't, and ergonomics, of course. So there was a a big boom around the 90s of crazy looking mouse and, uh, you know, screens, (laughs) how to view them. Um, But what really popularized it was a lot of literature coming out, especially on the web. So there's a lot of books, don't make me think. But the one that really uh, inspired me was the design of everyday things. Um, that's by an author called Don Norman. Um, he does a lot of work for Apple nowadays. Um, but that book really took everyday objects and he kind of uh, took apart like, why it's intuitive to use. So what really makes that product um, liftable, tiltable. So, and he used, introduced a word called affordances. So this chair has got certain affordances. Um, it kind of invites you to sit. It doesn't invite you to do a headstand or... Um, you know, press or push it around, it's, it's, it's specific. Right, so it's designed around kind of our what we believe it will do. Yes, um, a lot of people took that um, to a certain extent, such as uh, the path of least resistance or, you know, don't make me click twice when I can click once. That's not strictly true nowadays. A lot of people use products because they enjoy to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like to engage, they like to explore. So it's not really about the minimum number of clicks. It's really about um, the journey to get to your destination in the most satisfying way. Uh, maybe efficiency is a factor. Maybe enjoyment is a factor. Um, but effectively, it has to just fulfill its purpose in the best way it can. Um,
0: Mike Klein is doing research for us, and his second report is now, at the time that this releases, it's live. Then uh, I'm going to throw a quote at you from the report, and I'm interested in hearing what you feel about this. There are decreasing attention spans. Employees are increasingly conditioned to snack on content and get what they want instantly and easily.
1: It's it's an interesting one, and I think you, should, you need to break it down into its component parts. I think it's a, quite a bold statement to say that our attention spans are decreasing. Um, you know, we didn't evolve over millions of years just to, you know, devolve in, in the latest 30, just because we interact with machines. Yeah. Um, I think it's more about being bombarded with lots of content, lots of urgency, lots of channels, and humans are not really uh, great at making choices. So this is one of the issues. It's about making things um, filtered and relevant to you. Um, One of the topical things at the moment is uh, verification of uh, sources, or is it clickbait or is it an actual story? Um, so a lot of people put a lot of trust either in uh, institutions such as journalism or their peers, their friends. So if I know you or other peers have read that and they've given it five stars, thumbs up, um, I'm more inclined to trust that source. Um, so these types of channels or these types of content should maybe prioritise a little bit better. And, uh, yeah, and also the relevance. You know, it, is, is it relevant to what I'm doing now? Um, is it something I can read later? um not everything's uh really for the immediate attention right now it can be put off to another date it could be shared but then i think the second part of the quote um yes everything is being built to accommodate this assumption that everything has to be snackable consumable right. quickly um so you just see a lot of sensationalized titles a lot of SEO-based um, writing that's basically just trying to get as many eyes on the article and not really pushing the message. So I think some of the content does suffer when it when it comes to that. Yeah, but that also allows really good content to stand out, um, and that will, or at least I hope, uh, prevail in the end. So not everybody will just be conditioned to the lowest common denominator. But um, I still appreciate substantial uh, articles.
0: Right. And we're, we're also kind of seeing that back now that, for example, Google is focusing more on quality of content rather than keyword density and, and these type of things, which I think for you know, the internal communicators out there is kind of good news because they've never necessarily had to optimize their content towards their uh, company in an SEO basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're saying that quality of content is going to be the most important in the end because that's about the, the journey, the satisfaction behind it?
1: Yeah, for sure. It, there's, there's a lot of factors that come into what you deem quality. I mean, my, and it's also a very personal thing. Um, what you deem to be quality might not be what I deem to be. Um, yeah. So it, it's really about knowing who the user is um, and either channeling or customizing that content toward that user. Um, there's, there's, I don't think there's a single piece of content that's universally accepted uh, by all. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, content is king. is it, it's it's not some it's not just a a tagline that's used loosely. It really is, and I think adding on to content context is also king. Um, you need to know which devices people are uh, reading these articles from. Um, obviously, your mobile phone is is more snackable media. If if you really want to uh, read a long article, then you're going to go to a a tablet or a desktop. Yeah. So you, you need to think a little bit, maybe the timing of the day, the location, if people are in an office, they probably don't want to see uh, memes all day, Yeah. maybe out of the office, it's acceptable, and that's maybe it's a, a team bonding thing. Yeah, so it, it it really is a matter of fitting the content to the audience, and uh, that's not a new uh, idea, but it's, it's a different way of interpreting it, I think.
0: All right. I think that, you know, saying content is king is, is definitely preaching to the choir. I think internal mm-hmm. comms people love hearing that. I, you, you know, a lot of us come from sort of a former journalistic background. Um, I think the uh, the issue of context around it is, is a really interesting point to make. Um, I think that organizations in a lot of, you know, in in the new ways of communicating and the new ways of organizing also to become increasingly more agile, a lot of organizations will promote a bottom up communications approach. So when that approach comes, do you think that um, they need to find a way to make sources with higher credibility more visible or should we start moderating what's being said on our enterprise social networks more?
1: Well, first off, I think moderation is quite a a strong term. I, I prefer the word curation. Okay. Um, because moderators uh, give the impression that you know certain content is going to be blocked or diverted away. Um, when it's curated, you know who the user base is. Maybe they have some uh, categories, topics, tags that they're interested in, so then it reaches them. Um, and I think that it, it's more of a pull strategy. That's what we mean by bottom up, rather than top down. Um, it's quite funny if, if you look in any office. Uh, I suppose our office is quite typical. Um, we use so many communication forms, whether they're official or unofficial, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but it's quite funny how you see people latch onto specific um, tooling, for example. Um, it's quite often that I will I sit next to a UI designer. We don't speak a hell of a lot during the day, um, but we slack all day. Um, right. And, and most of that is we prefer asyn- asynchronous conversation. What do so, you mean by that? Well, it, if I go and tap her on the shoulder and ask her a question, I'm interrupting what she's doing. This right. Is, this is one thing. It's not just computers that are interrupting our attention spans. It's also people. Um, so I also like to have a backlog of notifications of, okay, I can deal with that when I've got time, when I've got a coffee break. Um, yeah. Certain platforms raise a little, a little bit more urgency or certain channels, so you react to them quicker. That's how you design your kind of environment. Um. There's other people that don't use any tooling, so you have to shout across the office to them, and then, right, the corporate
0: megaphone. Is
1: yeah, we've got a few names for those. Um, <laughs> so it's really down to the individual. Um, I, we use. It's quite funny. Like we've adopted um, Holacracy, which is a kind of bottom-up, self-organising structure. Right. Um, but you still see some of the old mechanisms uh, from departments. They usually have a kind of WhatsApp group, yep. so they use that for their, you know. Uh, days out or reporting illness, it, it's, it's kind of a, just an accepted but an informal mechanism that those departments use even though those departments don't really exist. That, this is a kind of uh, bottom-up way of doing things as well. Um, I mentioned Slack before, that's, that's a good example because there is no real structure, there is no teams. Um, channels emerge based on a topic, it could be fleeting, it could be for a day, it could disappear. Uh, sometimes it gains momentum, and it you know, and you use it every day. Yep. That's the kind of uh, evolving or organic structure that I I would kind of encourage in all internal communications. Uh, top down um, structures is they try to force people to use it in a certain way. So they'll force a department to all talk to each other about, and then they'll organize it substructure into yep. projects, and people just get lost. To be honest. Some people really enjoy it, but it will force a lot of people out because it's not relevant to them. They'll be bombarded by notifications that um, they don't want to see, um, and it'll basically just push them to another platform in the end. Interesting. We see a, lo- a lot of islands uh, forming, and a lot of people get really attached and emotional to certain uh Like certain in, t- in what t-
0: way? In what way?
1: Well, well a good example is, um, I mean, we build unified communications. Um, uh voice works. Yep. It was quite interesting when I caught up with you after a bit of time had passed. Um and you told me about Hapio and um, internal communications and you use this word intranet. That word when it triggers to me, I think these nineties old, you know, horrible systems or SharePoint or, you know, WordPress, just simple CMSs. Mm-hmm. So it was quite nice just when I saw the interface of uh, Happio. It, it it looks like any social media platform, it, but it's but it's giving you the content from your organisation uh, in a in a nice digestible way. So I never really thought that you know <laughs> team collaboration, unified communications, intranets, um, they're really all part of the same thing. They're just kind of marketed or positioned in a different way. Right. But the, but the core mechanisms, it's usually based around chat, video, and audio.
0: Yeah. Right. And,
1: conversation basically exactly
0: right um there was another quote in um, my client's research from the second report that came out that i'm interested in hearing your view on as well so every time we give employees a communication we give them a problem or a decision they have to make we need to reduce the number of non-essential decisions they have to make and i think this ties very much into um, a two-part article that you wrote on linkedin and the field of UX design in general, uh, you know, you kind of touched upon creating a path of least resistance or uh, the most enjoyment in a way. Um, so how can we as internal comms professionals make sure that our messages are effective and efficient to our audience?
1: Well, I think we've also touched on this topic well, throughout this conversation so far. Yeah. Um, it's really strange the way you use certain channels with certain people or certain topics. Um, a few examples. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done remote uh, job interviews. You probably always use like uh, Skype, sorry. Yeah, or yeah, or a similar tool, Hangouts. Yeah, ninety-nine uh, percent, and it's usually because yep. everybody has a Skype ID. So it's kind of that's um, sort of ingrained that that is the first choice to go for, unless there's a specific yeah. need. If you have to do certain uh, screen sharing, then you'll probably use a different um, mechanism. Um, for many years, Skype was also my main... Well, because obviously I'm, I'm an expat, I'm a British guy living in the Netherlands. Um, Skype was the only thing that my mother could get um, into her head. And, right. it, it, and I, I had to set up her account, I had to put my address in there, but then I'm just one click away. And she, she could get that. She couldn't really translate that to other applications. She didn't really feel the need to. But uh, Skype really... Became the verb for video calling, yeah. Uh, until until a lot of others, you know, joined the party. Um, but then, yeah, there's lots of examples like that. Um, sometimes I choose my mechanism whether I want to know whether somebody's uh, going to read the artic- uh, read the message. So if it's a time critical situation, maybe I'm in the supermarket shopping and I need to know which product to buy. Um, I'll use WhatsApp because then I can know whether my wife or whoever has read it. And responded yeah, if you send sense. an i or an sms you don't get that feedback so sometimes you it's it again it comes back to context what you want what's the lifetime of this uh, conversation um it factors into a lot of things um okay
0: so a, another thing that i find really fascinating about the field of ux and the boom in it is that You've now got a job title called UX Writer. I saw this on LinkedIn the other day and I found it really interesting. So companies like Booking.com and several really innovative agencies are hiring specifically for that. What do you think a UX design's mindset brings to the profession of internal comms? Uh, One where, again, as we
1: said before, a lot
0: come from a
1: journalistic background. If you position it against SEO writers or... Other t- technical writers, I think UX really brings a kind of uh, friendly approach um, to, to the interaction. Um, a lot of interfaces they're more conversational now, so you see lots of you can really see the character of a company come out in their uh, in their content. A few examples would be, but well, the, f- the first time I ever noticed it was uh, the Twitter fail whale. So right. it's it's an error message. It's great. I cannot do what I came here to do but they make a friendly wail and they say oops you know something went wrong so that was one of the first uh examples i really noticed and i thought it was a nice it it, it uh it's a nice part of the of the ui a, a, a few other examples would probably be uh, mailchimp yeah mailchimp that always comes to to a point where okay i'm going to push this button and it's going to hit 50,000 people or plus um so it's usually quite, quite a nervous moment but you've got this, you know, silly chimp running around uh, giving you advice. Are you sure? Giving you a thumbs up. And then once you click send, you get a big high five. Yeah. Because it's done. And there's nothing else you can do about it. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it, it, it promotes um, more of an informal dialogue with the user. So, and, and they're more inclined to use it again, come back, they had a good experience. Um, Another awesome example would be uh, whenever you get a, an update from Slack, you get these nice informal notes. So it's not like, okay, we implemented this feature, we did this, we did that, there's no bugs. It's more like, yeah, we cleaned out the gremlins in in in, in the notification center. And we have this sparkly new logo, don't you think it's cool? Um, but I like that informality. You know? right? And I think that draws a lot of people um, into the company and it keeps them on to that, because they get used to it. As soon as you move away from this kind of thing, you really notice it. If you go to an, a, another newsletter provider and you don't get that high five, yeah. you're gonna be a little bit upset.
0: So do you think that kind of informality, that internal comms people can take that into their company, into their communication?
1: Does that work across every company? It wouldn't work across every company. Um, I'm not big on the, on the enterprise community. Yeah, and that that's a different animal altogether. Um, when you get to that level, that scale, and international, then sometimes even going back to the okay, I'm promoting bottom up, um, but sometimes you need a, a top down structure. Otherwise, you're really going to have too much tooling, too much fragmentation, and that also doesn't help. If you look at what IBM have done, they've reinvented themselves. They're a big enterprise company, and they've come across really uh, innovative, informal bright, colorful, if you look at the advertising. Yeah. Um, and even touching on big topics like, uh, like AI that they're doing. Uh, I saw an article yesterday, or a page advertising, you know, free sign-up. And that was also very inform, very inviting.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I, you, you're actually really right about IBM. Um, one of the things that I saw is, uh, well, the person who trained me to be a, a writer, essentially, uh, she also wrote a, a series of articles on the security people in IBM. And she had, so, she had a really fascinating take on this because security is, is seen traditionally as this really kind of boring corporate thing. You know, tick the box, you need to have this. But actually what these people do is super important to the, you know, well, every company really. Um, and she wrote this from the human perspective. So what do security experts, what are they like in real life? What makes them tick? What gives them a passion for what they do, essentially? Which was, I found, a very kind of organic way of uh, storytelling. Like I remember she wrote one article in particular about um, a cybersecurity expert who also worked in the Israeli Defense Force, and he used to dismantle bombs. And he he likened a uh, cybersecurity attack to dismantling a bomb, uh, which made everything a lot more, you know, kind of relatable uh, um, to people, but also the company itself, potentially. So I think that, you know, from what I gather from what you're saying is, it's maybe not necessarily informality that we need to pay attention to as much as translating what we do into like human simply, simple language. I think that might be a nice, you know, kind of UX thing. Simple is beautiful as
1: a large uh, part of what you do. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, for sure. Um, It always ties back to the audience. If if, if you're looking for a messaging platform, communication platform for a specialist niche, such as this, uh, if you you think of the emergency services, you can't really imagine a police officer or a fireman slacking in, in the middle of work. Yeah. Uh, they still stick to you know one-way radios, um, or maybe a, a button on top to say they've acknowledged a, a telegram message. It's usually a one-way. Um, so yeah, what you'd see in a fire engine is a, it's just a message that says you have to go to this location, and you just have to hit a button that says you've acknowledged them. It's that simple because that's all they have to do. Yeah. They, they don't have to respond in any other way. They don't have to take their gloves off, start you know typing. So. We actually did an, an, a nice experiment when I was back at university on how to guide, navigate firemen in a fire. So you wouldn't want a touch screen, you wouldn't want anything that or we even considered augmented reality, but that's, you know, not great in a smoky atmosphere. Right. Um, but we actually found with uh, a small amount of training, we could insert five LED lights into, into their helmet and okay. you could wayfind or navigate just with five lights. So, they could be read for stop, Uh, you could signal left, right, forward, Uh, there'd be certain uh, obstacle arrangements, and you could do a lot just with very simple things. And those LEDs will always be visible as long as you have your eyes open.
0: That's
1: fascinating. But that's not going to work in the office.
0: (laughs) No, of course, (laughs) but I, I think that you're touching on a key question that I've been wanting to ask you, because internal comms people... I think as a profession, we're we're great at making communication better, more human, however you want to put it. Uh, but one thing maybe that we need to learn better is context, and you've touched upon that a lot. And I think this one is really nice because you know, how is an internal comms person going to reach a fireman, or for that matter, should internal comms people uh, master all of kind of the communication devices that a company really uses to really be where the people are? How how do you feel about that? you know how, how could we even practically do that are there any tips that you would say on learning to understand what kind of uh, a context
1: demands a certain device as always <laughs> it, it really depends uh you know ux is not really an art form and it's not an exact science it's more about the method um the biggest thing you'll learn in ux is um just to try things uh if you have to A, B test, just put it out there. right? And the feedback loop. So learn from it, change it if it's not working. Don't be afraid to change it, don't be afraid um, if something's wrong. Um, and then just keep trying and keep evolving. The first thing the, the UX uh, community really embraces is the full life, uh, life cycle. Okay. Everything from research to design. Uh, we try to avoid big expensive builds uh, or rebuilding in development by just doing lightweight prototyping. Right. Um, so this could be paper product prototyping. Um, it could be using a, a program where you can quickly mock up interfaces and buttons. Um, there's loads on the market, uh, everything from InTouch to Axure, Adobe, everybody's got something. Yeah. Um, so you can test it before you really commit to uh, building it. So it, in the end, UX saves a lot of time and money, um, but they have to be, it's not a bolt-on, mm-hmm. like I've got a stack of money to invest into SEO, and I'll see a return. Yeah. You really have to get the UXs involved at uh, the requirement gathering stage uh, to really know what the what the user needs. Um, you really need to define the problem. There's no point building technology just for technology's sake because um, it won't be used. Mm-hmm. It's only if it really solves a problem. Um, a small technique that I found in framing a problem. Um, I, I made a very generic model that defines three phases. It could be in communication, it could be in, you know, um, or any other daily activity. Okay, it applies to everything. It's very simple. The phases are before, during, and after. <laughs> um, so it doesn't matter whether it's a phone call, whether you're waiting for a bus or a train. There's always a before, during, and after. Yeah. Um, I highlight two kind of uh, key points, which is in between these phases. So in between before and during is is really the trigger phase. So if you imagine waiting for a bus okay, you're waiting for 10 minutes, suddenly the bus arrives. So that's the trigger and suddenly certain activities come into play. You have to look for your ticket, make sure you've got the right change. You might have to hustle for position if it's full or if you've got a pram, you've got to... There's all all this activity that happens in a very short space of time that's quite often overlooked. Yeah. Because if you're designing a a travel app or a, a travel card, um, you don't always consider these kind of phases. You know, where is that card before? Um, what do you do with your card when you're on?
0: Right, on but now bus? you do it because you saw the visual cue of a bus arriving. Exactly. Maybe the audio cue, you know, you hear the bus, etc.
1: Exactly. Okay. And, and also afterwards, you know, there's always the exit in the bus. Okay, where do I have to go now? There's usually, especially if you go to Amsterdam CS, for example, it's just choice. Yeah. <laughs> so you just need to know which direction or, or what you're doing next, and that's the kind of uh, after phase. If you apply this to any kind of communication, so if if you're preparing for a phone call, if you if you have an important phone call, mm-hmm. maybe you have you know some notes, uh, some preparation. You have to get some files together because you're going to discuss this. Could be a video call. Um, but there's always that moment. Okay, it's call time. So they're ringing you. Um, This is the kind of phase that, okay, all the stuff you prepared needs to come together. Yeah. So we could introduce this as a kind of automation. Um, You know, if if it's a VoIP call, um, I've got a call with Jonathan scheduled at 10. He's calling me. Maybe days in advance i prepared all these documents. Yeah. Maybe a few CVs some images. Maybe this is presented at that time because it knows I have this meeting, prepared these documents for Jonathan. So they're just presented to me. Right. This would be a useful notification. Yeah. Um, similar. Okay. We all know what happens during a phone call, but then at the end, there's usually some kind of you know um, sorting, organizing, planning a follow up meeting. You know all this stuff that's in your head. It's it's better if you categorize it and do it at that point. Yeah. Because if you get distracted and you come back to it later, you're probably going to miss something, or it's or it's not going to be far away proper. So I really see these critical uh, on-start or on-end kind of um, phases to be critical in all communications. Um, it can be um, destructive if 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 not done properly. Probably. Mm-hmm. If you think about the Microsoft uh, paperclip. Right. Yeah. Was, it was a good intention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you but mean like the little paperclip paper paper that yeah, used yeah. to pop up in Microsoft Word and say, can I help you with something? Exactly.
1: Right? That was enterprise thinking it's doing some good ux it was trying to do the mailchimp thing right but it got annoying because um it didn't really have the the model down um if you started if you started a sentence with dear suddenly it would think oh you're doing a letter so it would try to give you all these templates or all this advice and you just no. <laughs> right so it's a little bit too intrusive it, it didn't learn it, there was no kind of uh, knowledge or user modeling in there um and in the end it's it became the the poster boy for how not to do assistance.
0: Right. Interesting. Okay. That's nice. So you're basically in a way also advocating a lean approach to communicating, uh, prototyping, small iterations, tests, collect data, make it better based on it. Don't be a paperclip. Exactly. <laughs> very <It's> nice. <laughs> All right, Dan. Um, I'm going to, uh, thank you very much for joining. I'm going to leave you with one more question. Uh, we promised the audience that we would, uh, i uh, give you 60 seconds to define the three key points that every internal comms person should know when they're designing messages to their audience. I'm giving you 60 seconds. Dan, go. Well, it's easy. Context,
1: context, and context.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe I'll throw content in there. Um, but just to elaborate, context can be anything. It can, it can be objects, people, time of the day, the mood, whether you're indoors, outdoors. Um, what's the aim of the task? that you're doing what's the cognitive load of the person are you know are are they busy at that point or are they relaxed this can all change the method the channel or the content you're going to give them um i think timing is also critical that is that's also a, a part of context um but think is it during work hours out of working hours how does this matter does it change is this piece of content relevant tomorrow um Or is it, you know, everybody thinks their content is going to last forever, but if it's just a bulletin for the day, it should probably disappear tomorrow Um, and not really have this big uh, island of content just building up.
0: You hit 60 seconds perfectly. Did you make all your points?
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: (laughs) Dan, I'm going to thank you very, very much for being a guest on this podcast. I think the audience has a lot to learn. From your ex-designers, and I think you gave them a lot to think about. So thanks very much, and um, yeah, I would look forward to having you again somewhere in the future. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. Designing great messaging isn't just about efficiency and effectiveness, which was an assumption that I previously had. It's about the overall experience of the receiver. Technology makes our messaging better if we master the context in which it's used, and that's really my main takeaway for today. Content is king is one of my favorite sayings as a comms professional, and even Dan agrees. But in the royal family of communications, content may be king, but context is its queen. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and recommend it. And if you would like more internal comms goodies, go to happyo.com slash community, where you can find a selection of articles from across the web, information about our upcoming meetups, and you can join our exclusive social community for you to discuss with other IC professionals globally. Again, the link is happyo.com slash community. That's H-A-P-P-E-O dot com slash community. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Until next time.